Okay, welcome everybody to this final episode of the Firefly Creatrix second series. And we are concluding this series with an amazing conversation with Dr. Helen Beckett-Wilson and Dr. Lindsay Metcalf-McGrath from Liverpool John Moores University. Both of these researchers have been working on an incredible project into medical cannabis in the UK. And I have come into the project slightly later to create a creative output, a video which we'll talk about in this conversation. So I'd love to welcome you both and thank you so both so much for being here and taking the time today to have this conversation. I think it's a really important topic and I'm so grateful that you're doing this research and that I've been involved. I feel very humbled to be involved. I'd love it if you just start by both introducing yourselves and letting us know who you are, maybe a little bit behind the researcher, behind the doctorate. Um, who are you? So maybe I'll ask first, Helen. Uh, hi, um, thank you for having us here. Um, so um, my background is that I was originally a drug worker. I worked in the criminal justice system with people whose um, offending behaviours were connected with their drug and alcohol use and uh, ended up going into being a researcher and then doing my PhD in drug policy um, and, and well, it was actually in criminology, but fo I focused on drug policy. Um, and that, that interest in, in drug policy has continued both in my research career and in my teaching career. So that's kind of the backdrop to how I got to being who I am and where I am today. Mm. amazing this is so great because I've never really had these conversations with either of you so I'm <laughs> like super lucky to <laughs> delve a little bit behind what we've already done so Lindsay hi yeah um yeah I'm Lindsay um I'm a social scientist um so my background is in sociology um and I'm currently a senior lecturer in criminology at Liverpool John Moores University and I became interested in um drug policy and specifically around medical cannabis a couple of years ago um, because in my personal life um, I was supporting a family member who was um, li you know, living with a chronic illness and um, pretty poorly and trying lots of different medications um, that weren't helping and um, they started to look into the possibility of getting cannabis on prescription and so um, kind of seeing their experiences of the process and learning more about it, I became really, really interested. Um, and it kind of piqued my academic interest as well. And I got in touch with Helen um, with her kind of drugs policy background. And between us, we um, designed and created this research study to find out more about the experiences of people that have got a prescription for cannabis in the UK. So had you been working together, did you know each other before this or did was it that you knew Helen's background and you got in touch with her, Lindsay? Yeah, we've, we've worked together for a number of years. So we work mm -hmm. in the same team um, at John Moores. We're both in the criminology team um, and, and, and we're friends. And I think it just started to evolve out of natural conversations where I was, where I was saying, Helen, you know, I'm going through this thing at home and I'm learning more about... Um, that prescribing is legal, um, but not not easy, as we'll come on to. Um, it's not easy to get a prescription. And then even once you've got a prescription, patients are sort of experiencing quite a lot of different challenges and issues because they're in this really interesting space where 
they're getting cannabis completely legally on prescription. But of course, as we know, generally speaking, cannabis is still illegal in the UK. And so they're in quite a strange and interesting and difficult space, really. So we started having conversations about how interesting it was and it's relatively new and no research had really been done to um, find out what life was like for people. And so from there, the project started to become born. So, yeah, so as far as you know, no research had been done before your study or very little? Certainly in the UK, in the in the new sort of policy environment since 2018, when the law changed to allow them to prescribe it, um, there wasn't any sort of sociological um, research that had qualitatively talked to people. There'd been surveys before, um, but we are very much, we, we use in our work, we very much um, focus on Brené Brown's view of the world, um, mm-hmm. that, that stories are so, so important. And for us, people's stories were really, really important. The things that people shared with us as we've sort of progressed through this project. And we just really wanted to foreground those stories and let people know what it's like. It's very easy to hear a drought about a drug policy or to hear about things in the newspapers or the media about this stuff and not really connect it to a human being. Um, And for us, these stories are just so important from the patients that we've spoken to. So I I think that's where we started from and that's always at the forefront of our minds. Thank you for so so much for just stating that fact about the 2018, uh, that's when it became legalised because until I'd worked with you guys, I had no idea. I didn't, I didn't really, I don't know if I even knew that it had been legalized. I knew that there had been talks about it, but I think that's such an unknown thing. (laughs) Uh, Obviously, unless you're trying to get it, which is the whole point of your, your research, that it's so, um, it's still got so much stigma and so much taboo and so much mystery around it. Uh, and then also, yeah, celebrating that the whole Brené Brown uh, approach. Brené Brown is her her work and her her research is just incredible. So yes. I agree. I agree. Stories and like hearing real real people's ways of describing things just makes it more accessible. And I know that we'll probably use that word a lot, <laughs> but yeah, more more relatable and just more real. And I think numbers and numbers and figures and statistics are all well and good and very useful but yeah the stories are incredible um so I just want to ask a random question here is that do you do you both see yourself as creative (laughs) I actually saw this question written down before we had the interview and I'm really sorry I'm laughing but it's because I am I would generally see myself as the least creative person, <laughs> um, which is a bit ironic when I'm on this podcast. Um, but then I started thinking about it and I thought, actually, I am creative, but not in a way that was in any way, shape or form useful for this project. <laughs> um, I like to I like to create in the kitchen. And so I like to cook, I like to bake, um, and I also sew, and I am terrible at all of these things, and I have tried to be creative. I I went to painting classes when I was in my 30s, um, and and also some fairly disastrous results. But I don't know, are you allowed to call yourself a creative person if it means you've had a go? Yes, yes. Okay, Lindsay, let's hear your, 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 your comment. I mean, I think 
I've never really particularly thought of myself as creative. Um, but that's probably because I had a really narrow idea of what creativity was. So I've never particularly been like, I don't know, into drawing or painting or things like that. I've dabbled at music, but not very good at it. And, you know, I've had lots of different hobbies. I've tried things. But no, I've not really thought of myself as creative. But um, interestingly, about I think it was about a year ago, I had um, an amazing opportunity to go on a writing retreat um, through work. And it was facilitated by um, Professor Kathy Cole, who's one of our um, professors in creative writing at the university. And although I was there to write kind of what I thought was quite dry, you know, academic papers, because that's kind of what we're encouraged you know to publish that is important but she kind of really opened my eyes to taking a more creative approach and I think it's seeping through you know very gradually I'm seeing myself that I am a writer and that is a creative process and there are different genres of writing that I you know hope to be able to explore so I, I think I'm, I'm getting there you know <laughs> Uh, if we had the videos on you would see the biggest smile on my face just from hearing both of you kind of talk yourself or talk talk around and real that realization that you are creative because I know that you probably both wouldn't expect to be on a creative podcast but I mean a we're all creative like you know we're all innately creative and even Helen as you and as you say cooking cleaning all of the things we do day to day is creating a life um and yeah what I see with the work that you do and 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 the the ability to to capture stories is is creative it, to to have conversations with people in a way that they open up and and feel safe like creating safe spaces creating trust um i just see what you, what you both do as insanely creative and yet i know that the society we live in says that you're not creative unless you draw or paint or you know the kind of classic arts so that was just um I was just curious as to as to whether you would see yourselves as creative and I'm very happy with <laughs> selfishly very happy with what I hear <laughs> I like I like what you've just said and well what both of you have just said actually I never even thought about the fact that writing how stupid is that now that I'm saying it out mm. loud um, <laughs> I never thought about writing as a creative process because I think like Lindsay, I've probably gone, well, I can't draw, so that's probably not me being a creative person. But I never thought about the thing that we do on a day-to-day -day basis is creative. Lindsay's also missing out. She's an amazing writer. But the other thing that she's missing out is that she created our logo for our um for our cannabis project mm. and she's done the most amazing job with that. So she's she is also creative in visual form as well. <laughs> amazing amazing yeah that definitely the, I mean writing in a way that again that people can understand and I know that because even the fact that you've got me involved in this project shows that kind of um and we'll, we'll go into that a bit more but shows that kind of willingness and um yeah key, how keen you are for people to to have access um and to understand what you write and what you share um I'm very willing and open to being more creative and I think that's been the beauty of working with you Sophie on this project is it gives you it's given me the confidence to work with someone who very 
much owns their creativity to, you know, it gives you that confidence to find more creative ways to, um, what's the word, share our work and share our findings. And mm-hmm. as Helen said earlier, of our emphasis on, on stories. And I think this is kind of really key is to find different varied ways of getting people's stories out there because um, we need to raise awareness of what's going on with cannabis policy and cannabis prescribing and I think finding different means of doing that is it could only be a good thing. Also finding a way that speaks we wanted um, something that would speak to different audiences but in the same format that that um, you know that visual format that would speak to anybody whether they are a policymaker or a patient themselves or somebody who just didn't know that the law has changed and thinks this you know finds this really interesting so we needed it to be something that would speak to that massive range of sort of academic professional personal all of those different audiences needed to be spoken to by what our outputs were and of course we know we've got the academic box ticked with the papers that we're publishing and have published but equally you know knowing finding a way for that to speak to all of the audiences in one go and also in brief because everybody's busy not everybody's got time to sit down and read some massive paper or something like that so we needed this creative product this creative outcome that could speak to those different audiences um so so that's what we were looking for and that's what brought us to your door Sophie amazing let's just like step back slightly so um, we know that you were inspired to kind of get deeper into the into understanding the the challenges of of coming in you know co- coming into contact and uh, getting prescription for medical cannabis through Lindsay's experience at home, and then both of you have anyway through work got this kind of curiosity um, as to why these things are so hard and so uh, nuanced and just yeah tricksy. So how did you then go about conducting the study? Um, it was a qualitative study. Um, so we felt that was like the best approach, as I say, because we wanted to get at people's experiences. You know, there is other work going on around, you know, the more medical side and the more quantitative side of trying to kind of measure and test what the impact of cannabis is on the body for different conditions. And that's obviously not our speciality. So we'll hear about, stories and experiences and what life is like with a prescription so we decided qualitative interviews um was a was the best approach um and we so we put a proposal together and and took it through ethics um and we really designed it in a way that we hoped would be as accessible as possible for people bearing in mind that our target group of participants are people that typically living with ill health so um people with chronic illness and so on so we needed to make it um feasible for people to take part as far as possible so we did qualitative interviews and um they were um conducted over um microsoft teams so video chat software and recorded so people could do it from the comfort of their homes and it was easy for people to take breaks and so on and kind of cut down on the need for travel mm. um so yeah, we put out an advert on social media um, to try and recruit people. And I think it's fair to say, Helen, we didn't know at the start, did we, how many, you know, what a response we'd get because 
the one fact we did know was that very, very few people have managed to get a prescription for cannabis. There's a lot of barriers in the way. And so it did make us wonder at the start, you know, are we going to have a lot of success in finding these people that are willing to come talk to us? Um, and we were really pleasantly surprised by the um, by the response we did get. And in, in the end, we've managed to c conduct 24 in-depth interviews with patients with, or, or in some cases a carer. Um, for a patient with a prescription. So we were, were absolutely delighted with that response. What was really interesting for us was not just the amazing number of people who contacted us to take part, but like we'd do an interview um, with people and we ended up, we hadn't intended at the start to use snowball sampling, which is where one of your participants recommends another participant and that's how you get to other people included but we ended up doing that kind of by accident because people were so excited and so emphatic about the change that had either happened in their life or in the life of the person that they were caring for that they wanted other people to tell their stories so like we had a parent who was saying to us I know another parent and you really need to hear her story or his story but um, there was two or three different parents recommended that way and one person who came and did told us their story and then they asked um can I talk to you again because I have really enjoyed these this experience so for us it's been we've both of us have if you listen to the recordings of the um the interviews you would what you would hear is us laughing with patients you would hear us crying with patients because they really sucked us into their journeys and took us with them the interviews were just the most amazing amazing experience um and so yeah it, from from that point of view the fact that people just couldn't believe this change that had happened in their life as a result of their prescriptions and they wanted so much to tell us their own story but they also wanted other people to tell us their story I just thought it was brilliant and that, like I say the fact that one of the participants said that they wanted to come back so they actually did a second interview with us it was <laughs> just brilliant. Gosh that just speaks volumes doesn't it I mean a like you say like I said before the fact that you created this environment where they were free to laugh and they were free to cry and they were free to like really go in depth into their stories but also that yeah they that kind of willingness and need the need for that um that sharing I think for most of them it was out of sheer frustration I mean that that space that Lindsay's just described of they are being prescribed a drug that is completely legal, completely legitimate and is prescribed for the condition that they have. And then they've got to deal with not only being poorly, but deal with people's stigmatising attitudes towards them and the difficulties that they experience as a result of that. They're trapped in this awful space that's been created by two different drug policies so we've got like the 1971 misuse of drugs act on one hand and then this 2018 change in the law on the other um and so one of them's banning it and the other one's saying you can have it but on prescription and i think that space that they are trapped in is the most frustrating space to be in and quite understandably they are frustrated they are angry and they want people to know this is what it feels like yeah yeah and i think that's that's such another beautiful thing is that it's it's not a, it's not purely selfish and if it was that would also be completely understandable but it's that thing of I want to let people know what's going on so that for others who are also in this situation they don't feel alone and they don't feel um so isolated and so um that it's 
only happening to them. Yeah. That's incredible. So of the 24, are you able to share how many have access to a prescription? All of the 24 had a prescription. So that that was a criteria for taking part was either that you were someone yourself who had a prescription or, as I say, um, a handful were carers or parents um, of somebody with a prescription. But I think only one of those we think had an NHS prescription. So one of the big issues that's worth saying kind of at the outset is that although it has been legalised um, for a variety of reasons, um, it's almost impossible to get an NHS prescription. So there's an immediate health inequality there um, that the people we are talking about here, are primarily people that have been able to find the means to go to a private clinic um, and, and be prescribed their cannabis through that route. Um, so cost is an immediate um, challenge. Um, and so I think, like you were saying, there's people, some people have seen the benefits in their children, for example, and realise there's lots of other children out there and adults that need cannabis for a whole range of conditions. Um, and we can kind of mention some of those different conditions in a moment. Um, but not everybody's got access to it financially. Um, it, it's it's a, it's a real difficulty. Yeah, and didn't you say that that it, it's predicted that it's literally a handful of people since 2018 that have got a prescription on the NHS? Yeah, I think it's estimated that fewer than five have actually got an NHS prescription in that time. Um, I mean, that's so, incredible. Yeah, this is something we were we've been talking about amongst ourselves um kind of today because it it's also estimated I think that over a million people a day are taking cannabis in the UK for medical reasons um so if you can't get an NHS prescription you know your choices at the moment really are to find the money to go to a private clinic um or you kind of push towards the black market and you know the criminalized route which obviously exposes you to all kinds of harms Mm-hmm. And, and risks there as well so I think this is why people feel so strongly about it because as Helen said there most of our participants had really experienced quite life-changing quite life-enhancing benefits from cannabis as medicine um, but they're just so so aware of the difficulties that it it's not open access it's not equal access for people um, and that's before we even get onto the problems of um, stigma and you know, talking about your your prescription and kind of living your day-to-day life while you've got a prescription, um, just the, the initial barrier in terms of people having equal health access to this medicine is, is a really big issue. I, I just think the things that people told us that they had had to do in order to afford those prescriptions, because the group of people that we interviewed... Um, None of these people were, you know, some major wealthy person who'd got loads of money to be able to throw at this. What the things that they were having to do to raise the money in order to do this, and it really sticks with me that um, one of the um, one of the carers that we interviewed said to me, "When you've seen one of your family members who's gone from fitting, you know, sometimes." hundreds of times in the space of a week they were literally almost permanently fitting and then had been able to get this um get access to this prescription and they'd seen them go down to no fits ever since they'd been prescribed um and and they said to me 
what would you do in that situation? You would literally move heaven and earth and they'd actually remortgage their house in order to be able to afford it. And they said, you know, when we run out of those funds, I don't know what we're going to do. And I also don't know where we're going to live now. And so the sacrifices that people were having to make in order to afford these private prescriptions were, you know, some of the moments when we found ourselves pretty much in tears with the participants. It was very difficult not to when you hear those stories. Yeah, I mean, that gives me chills, you know, hearing you recount yeah. it back. It's just, yeah. it's just incredible, isn't it? Because as you've mm-hmm. already alluded to, people who have a life like debilitating illness are unlikely to have to be the people to be the kind of demographic that has lots of disposable income. So yeah. it it's like layers and layers of marginalization on top of each other. Precisely. Um, okay, so ethics. I'm guessing from my experience with you guys that that must have been a big part of, and you mentioned it when you said about putting in the in the funding bid. Um, how did you navigate the ethics around people's stories? I guess probably at the heart of it, of course, is anonymity in this study. Um, we, you, everything that we do has to go through um, a, an ethics panel um, that is set within the situated within the university, and we had to take our plans to them and say, look, this is how we're intending on doing the project. And so we said from the offset that we would um, give people pseudonyms, of course. Um, and also that we would anonymise part of the story. So sometimes we might switch a gender or switch what somebody's job is and so forth so that we can still tell their story, but without making them identifiable. Because like like um, Lindsay said, there's such a small pool of participants. You have to be really, really careful to make sure that by the, you know, when you start mentioning a number of different factors about the same person, that you're not actually about to reveal who they are. Right, right. Yeah, that makes sense. And I I mean, that makes me sound like I know, I know what it's like to be a researcher. But the reason I know that, that we, you know, that the challenge with the ethics is that within the film that we've created, we, you guys were incredible at creating the script in a way that was inclusive of all of the sort of challenges that people face without being specific about um, gender or um, I mean, we do have different uh, sort of quite obviously gendered characters within the story, but it's not like each one is, I don't know, it just, it, the way that we, the way it's melded together means that each story actually could apply to each character that we've got in the film. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's because, yeah, like, yeah, because it's a small group of people, if you're too specific about this is this person and this was their condition, their whole story, their background, their gender, their, they mentioned their child, they mentioned a particular thing that happened. You know, you have to be really careful that, as Helen says, that, you, that somebody might go, oh, I think I know who that is. Um, whereas what we've tried to do is still represent the range of people that we've got. It's really, really important to us. And we did this with you, Sophie, in terms of developing some of those drawings for the film, the, the characters. You know, we've got people in the study of all kinds of age groups, different different ethnicities, different types of health condition. And it's, we need to maintain that, but without kind of making it obvious who somebody 
it mm. is in terms of a specific identity. I think we've done it. I think is it not it takes some thought, doesn't it? It does, it does. And it's and it's something that I think will continue to evolve and there'll be, you know, it's it's such a creative challenge but a, you know a great one to kind of work out ways to share stories without them without them being obvious who they are but without kind of losing the the power and the potency of them which I think we've achieved yeah. <laughs> um but I'm sure you know as as hopefully we continue working on future studies that there'll be other ways to approach it too that kind of just brings that kind of richer the richer kind of weave of everyone's different stories together yeah, absolutely. Um, Lindsay, do you want to, or bo- both of you, do you want to list the, the the conditions? Because I think it's incredible to me too, the, just the sheer amount of conditions that it can support. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a very interesting for me. It's a kind of range of um, mental health conditions and um, physical health conditions. So uh, we spoke to people that had various types of, of severe pain for all kinds of reasons, fibromyalgia. Um, um, one patient had um, cluster migraines um, and then there was a category of people with epilepsy who use cannabis um, as Helen says because they're having a lot of fits um, and then people also reporting that it's helping with ADHD um, with anxiety agoraphobia um, um, PTSD and, and of course, some people have got more than one condition, you know, because I think sometimes it's a bit, a bit of a vicious circle. If you've got a chronic illness and you're living in a lot of pain, then perhaps your sleep isn't so good. And, um, you know, cannabis was helping people kind of regulate their sleeping and so on. Um, I think appetite stimulant, stimulants um, as well is another benefit or helping with um, chronic vomiting and nausea. Um so yeah, a really, really wide range, actually. I was really surprised how many different um, conditions can be kind of can be alleviated with cannabis. And were all of those represented within your 24? Yeah, those ones that I've listed are all um, from our list of participants. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that is, is incredible, isn't it? I think what was interesting about it as well was that, like Lindsay said, that <laughs> you've got this list of conditions of what it was, what people were prescribed it for. But what we found people saying to us was, um, first of all, that the difference between what they're being prescribed now and what had gone before was that most of the things that they'd been prescribed previously had had some really significant side effects. So <laughs> when when they described what the side effects were, it was like, wow. Um, you know they'd already got the health condition to deal with and then they took the medication the previous medication that they'd been prescribed um and and that actually caused so many more problems so then they needed treatment for the more problems and they'd ended up on this enormous cocktail of variously quite quite significantly dangerous drugs um and they were saying to us that they'd been able to tailor off and stop a lot of those drugs that they'd previously been prescribed once the cannabis was prescribed. So it had sort of alleviated a lot of the side, the, um, sorry, the, the things that had been caused by their treatments, um, the side effects. 
And then they had the cannabis and not only did the cannabis treat the things that they wanted it for, but they were finding out that it was treating all these other things that they didn't realise were treatable. So like Lindsay's just said, people who've got, you know, severe anxiety, whose sleep is disturbed by the anxiety, would feel find that it treated the anxiety and it treated the sleep issue. We had people um, who'd had it for back pain, but then found out that they'd always thought that they'd got some problem with their gut and their digestion. And it, once they started the cannabis, the gut and the digestion issues disappeared. Um, and so it was almost like the side effects of the cannabis were, were as positive <laughs> as the thing it was treating them for. It was just phenomenal again just incredible and i think i think that sort of goes exactly what you were saying goes to show how these drugs which you know have their place but then like you say they have such a list of side effects that then you need another drug to kind of combat the side effects and then it becomes this sort of vicious circle that you can't get out of and yeah. yet there's this plant literally a plant that is there offering this support that's actually way more holistic and kind of covers all of these bases and yet it's so hard to get hold of because of the stigma because of the kind of background to it the you know the um social construct around it sure yeah yeah and what was interesting as well you know some of the participants that had been you know some of them had been a bit worried about are there side effects to cannabis um, but then once they had started to take it, they'd found that those side effects were really minimal, or if they did have any at all, they were quite temporary. So I think one or two did report like they'd had, you know, it's sort of experience like you know, what you'd call the munchies, you know, um, it, it's sort of stimulating you to want to eat or making you a bit sleepy to start with. Um, but um, people tended to like adjust and, and then these sort of side effects were only temporary. And because as well, because prescribed cannabis, um, it, people are, are kind of using micro dosing. Um, so they're taking it in very, very small quantities to get a kind of a, a benefit throughout the day as they need it. So they, they're not aiming to get high or get any kind of effect that you might associate with cannabis in that sense. So it, it's really interesting that even where people have been a little bit worried about it, they generally told us that the side effects were very minimal and certainly nothing on the scale um, to the, the pharmaceuticals that they'd been prescribed previously. And as, as Helen says, were quite damaging in themselves sometimes. That Those messages that we got from people around that is why we want to publicise these stories, because there's a lot of assumptions about who a, a cannabis patient might be. Um, and that, you know, oh, they, 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 this, we call them cannabis tropes. It's like these notions that people have got that are not necessarily based on any evidence. And people, you know, tend to assume that it is people just want to get high and they want the NHS to pay for it and so on and so forth. But what our findings have demonstrated um, almost invariably is that people wanted the cannabis in order to function in order to be able to go to work in in order for their children to go back into education if it was the child that was being treated um and and they certainly if they got high they would be like right that's problematic and the great thing about the cannabis prescription is that it's patient titratable so they can use less if it's starting to have unwanted side effects like making them high and they did use less and that was the that was 
I think what would probably surprise people is that people are not looking to get high. That's the opposite of what they're looking for. They're looking to be able to function. And what a lot of them said was like the opiate-based medication that they'd had previously would literally knock them out. It made them numb emotionally it made them sleepy it caused them all sorts of gut problems and so on um, and and meant that they couldn't do their jobs or couldn't function as a parent or kids couldn't function to go to school because they were just completely blocked out by the drugs that they were on whereas when they got the cannabis prescription that was actually facilitating and allowing them to go and lead you know what what people would describe as a normal life yeah that is what i was going to say was just that that seems like such a huge stigma um and I, I know there's more than that but that stigma that people just assume that it's someone trying to kind of play the system and get what they want so that they don't got to pay for it but I think all of the stories that you share through the research and also through the video that we've made is it counters that completely it, it, it yeah it just proves the opposite 100 percent um, so what inspired you to contact me? Like, was was that something that had been on the horizon from the beginning of the project to have a creative output or has, did something kind of inspire that choice? I think I became aware of your work, Sophie, because of some of the previous things you've been involved in, working with other um, researchers from Liverpool John Moores University and, and sort of kind of thinking about this kind of creative route into sharing findings and it just seemed like the perfect way to kind of start sharing some of these um, research findings but in a more accessible way and to start I suppose give, try and give something back really to all these people that have who are not very well but they've taken the time to sit and share their stories with us and take part in an interview and a, a big thing was, that was coming out really from, from the participants was many of them had experienced the stigma. They had experienced um, even meet, meeting doctors and other healthcare professionals who were confused about the law and perhaps weren't always very supportive or understanding about this prescription. Some had met the um, had negative encounters with the police or were equally confused about the law over prescribing. And a lot of the patients were saying to us, we want education is, is a way of trying to raise awareness. And it was interesting because you said yourself at the start, Sophie, you, you know, you hadn't been fully aware that the law had changed and neither had I at the outset. Um, you know, th there is a lack of awareness among the general public and even among kind of professionals and doctors actually working in the NHS and police and so on. And so, yeah, we, it, I think using the creative process and making the film as a way of trying to really succinctly get the messages out there and, and and hopefully it will reach different kinds of audiences and a wide variety of people and raise some awareness I hope so too yeah I, I think it's two or three times in the video we highlight that that concept that you know it's not actually necessarily the police's fault or the doctor's fault it's just a lack of education it's a lack of understanding there's more training needed there is more awareness raising and I think exactly as you say Lindsay education is empowerment and you know knowledge is power in this kind of situation and that yeah. these patients are suffering 
because of the lack of education. Absolutely. And some, you know, some people told us that, you know, they had gone, um, you know, so obviously they're getting their prescription from a private clinic and then perhaps they, they're going back to their NHS um, specialist or their GP and saying, you know, I've been taking this cannabis that I'm getting prescribed and it's really helping me. And some of those professionals were really interested and really curious and wanted to know more and were saying, well, can I can I see your cannabis? Can you tell me more about it? I want to learn more. So there, I think there are some that are really open to wanting to, to learn and further their own knowledge. But unfortunately, some of the stories were also encountering GPs who had quite outdated views or whoever either saying, oh, well, that's illegal, not recognising that it's not illegal. Um, or kind of playing into some of those cannabis tropes still that um, Helen mentioned earlier. So I think education is important for all of us, whether we're members of the public who perhaps ourselves might, you never know, one day um, meet with ill health and, and find that cannabis is an option for us, through to somebody who encounters um, a patient and wants to respond properly and not stigmatise that person through to professionals like um, doctors and the police um, that really, you know, you, you would hope that they can access training and education and um, meet cannabis patients in the right way. I think the bit to add to that is just to say that we also wanted it to be whatever our creative output was. We wanted it to be in a format that our um, patients who gave us their time and like Lindsay said they're not, they're not very well um, so it's a significant thing for them to spend you know some of their day with us um, and what we wanted was to be able to give them ownership of those stories and those our research findings so it, we wanted it to be in a format that they could share with the people that they felt it was most appropriate for so that they could go and say, look, this isn't just me. This is, a, you know, this is an issue that is it is completely legitimate to be a cannabis patient is a legitimate patient and cannabis as a medicine is legitimate. And we wanted something that they could share with people who needed to know um, and that was in a format that they could share, which is why we wanted something that we could, you know, put up on YouTube and things like that so that it is accessible and the patients themselves can share it. Mm, I love that. I love that. I think it's so important. And a lot of the studies that I work with are have that focus of co-production or collaborate collaboration as such a key thing and I think that's what's beautiful about a study such as this is it's you know it is academic and it's very important that it is academic and that you like you said earlier you've got the papers down like you you know you're <laughs> that's your expertise and that's the research process is your expertise and then it's like that how I see it and how my role plays in with the other studies that I work on as well, is this sort of ability to open it up and to make it accessible and disseminate that sometimes highbrow language, but just sort of um, more formal, more formal language into something that's just everyday. It's yeah. um, and it can be, as you said, exactly. It can be on social media. It can be on YouTube. It can be. Um, think places that other people who may not find academic research papers will come across in a different way so again I think I love that you started out on social media to meet your participants and that actually it will 
also then go back out into social media once we release this film. Do you both want to describe a little bit what we have in the film? Well, yeah, we started with, um, I think it was you, Sophie, who said, who advised us that three minutes was a really good length to aim for because of people's attention span um, and kind of keeping it, um, keeping people engaged. So then came the challenge of trying to write a script. So that was new for me, I suppose, a new creative (laughs) form of writing, how to write a film script for three three minutes, Um, which it's a it's a skill but it's you know really useful exercise to try and condense all of these amazing research findings that we've got but kind of really distill it down and go right we've only got time to sort of show the highlights so I think we kind of went through the sort of rough process of the benefits on the one hand the, the you know the types of benefit that people were getting from cannabis but then moving on to the challenges um, and I think the challenges really came into two categories like we've said you know there's the initial access and the health inequalities around cost and and so on but then it's the um the, the stigma that you encounter potentially on a daily basis of I've got this prescription now I'm not doing anything wrong it's completely legal but not everyone in the world knows that and I think we focused on kind of the different situations that patients were facing, like um, how do I talk to my landlord about this? Or, you know, are my neighbour's going to judge me? Or what do I do when I need to take my cannabis in public? And maybe people smell it and sort of uh, are judging me because of it or um, those kinds of things. So we, we tried to kind of capture some of that in the film, some of the benefits, but also those challenges. I think for me the um the magic of it was when we'd when we'd got the script together and then um we spoke to you about what we were looking for in terms of how to represent that. And I think the magic that you've got <laughs> is that um it's quite difficult to see inside two other people's heads. So inside mine and Lindsay's heads, we've got these images and these this knowledge of what what the people were like that we spoke to. And the way that you managed to draw like a little community of people that were so representative of of who we talked to, um, we were just blown away (laughs) because, as we've both said, neither of us are necessarily great at drawing ourselves. And so for you to be able to sort of create those images that represent exactly what we were looking for um, has, has just been an amazing process for us to go through. It's been brilliant. Oh, I'm so happy to hear that. Um, and yeah, I'll definitely agree with you on the the script writing being a skill. It is very, very hard. Um, three minutes, which I agree, I still think is um, a very good length because it's not too long and it's not literally a 10 second kind of TikTok or something. It's It's got more substance to it, but it's not so long that people kind of switch off. Yeah. But- so hard because that's actually only I think it's about 400 words is the maximum you can get in to three minutes and that's literally talking the whole way through um and I think what's brilliant about the way that you've structured it is that we have little pauses to let things land because these are big statements that you're making and big kind of revelations around these challenges so it needs that little kind of breather in between each each kind of revelation for the audience to 
digest and um yeah take it in <laughs> because it's it's such a it's so hard hitting when you realize the kind of and there's no statistics in there even except for the fact that it's 2018 was when it was legalized it's just the stories and then letting these stories land um so yes i agree and i think you did such a great job with the script um and also just to highlight that um you managed to kind of have these almost little, little quotations from different characters and obviously they were inspired by participants but we kind of created characters for each one and we have narration narrators from different sort of parts of your lives I know you've got different people in your lives involved in the in the narration process and just to have those different voices really helped as well to kind of again highlight that there's so many different demographics that are involved in this challenge yeah exactly I think that's one of the things I'm proudest of is that a large part of the film it is made up of direct quotes from the participants so it is the the stories of the participants in their own words and I think that's really really important and um but yeah like you say I think that kind of evolved a little bit but quickly we were like okay well we need you know somebody's going to have to like narrate this and read out this quotation and then it started to become okay well we've got these different voices so perhaps they need different accents and um luckily well Helen and I have very different accents but (laughs) we have lots of family and friends with different accents from different parts of the country as well so yeah people were really keen to kind of and be a part of it and help us and I think it's created a really nice effect because um like you say these are stories of like a small handful of people but we want to make them relatable that actually this could be any of us any of us could find ourselves in this um situation of not being well and um kind of approaching a clinic to get a prescription for cannabis and then experiencing all these challenges so you kind of want to make it universal knowing that who we were representing in the film Lindsay and I never knew from one interview to the next that we were undertaking who the person was going to be or where they would be from because the the fact that we were conducting the interviews online meant that our geographical reach was across the entire UK so with every interview that you did we had you know everybody right from the you know the the deep south of the country right up to the highlands in the north so um, we had a really massive range of accents so it was really important for us to try and make sure that those different accents different regional accents different um different types of people were represented in the film all in three minutes so i just think yeah what we've what you've achieved what we've achieved as a team is is quite is quite profound because it's all of these little details and it's actually really simple things like having multiple voices um, and having those spaces in between quotes and having direct quotes from participants rather than trying to explain what participants are saying, which is so easy to do, to try and do that, to try and explain, to sort of have a quote and then try and explain it. But actually, I think the boldness of what you sent me and what we've created is that it's not explaining it. It's allowing people, as you say, to to listen and hear and watch the film and then 
see how that feels within themselves and that they can relate to it you know in their own way rather than telling someone how to relate to it yeah and I think your drawings have really added um an extra level to that because again we wanted to kind of capture the diversity of different people that are affected by these issues and the, and the full range of participants that we spoke to but without making the illustration so specific that someone might go well that, you know okay that's not really me so you want to be able to see yourself almost in the characters and I think you were so skilled at creating these I mean obviously they're more than stick figures but they they certainly I don't know how to describe them they're just absolutely beautiful they're they're simple and they're rounded full characters but they're not too specific as to alienate people that might not relate to them and they, it's just um like Helen said it's a complete community of characters it's a full cast and they're absolutely brilliant yeah I agree I agree I th and I think so we chose you'll see when you see the film we've chosen to keep it all in black and white so it's with tones of grey um rather than trying to again kind of tell another story through colour it's allowing people to to relate to the black and white in their own way um and then, yeah, the the original idea was maybe just to have a single character that all of these different kind of that sort of tells the story of all of these different different um, anecdotes. But actually, I think what we've ended up with, which is the community, where more more people come in and and the way they kind of the characters turn and look at each other as they're talking, and it's like that understanding that we see each other because we share a narrative, we share a challenge. Um, and as a as a community, we're sharing that challenge with you, the wider world, um, in the hope that it will help you understand. Definitely. It is going to be yeah, out on YouTube and um, I guess on Instagram and things like that. But there's another place that it's going to be out. Can, do you want to tell us where else it's going to be out next week? <laughs> it's going to be, I was waiting to see which of us were both so excited. It's going to be um, at, launched at the uh, UK Medical Cannabis Patients Conference, um, and that's taking place in London um, on the 3rd of November, which is part of that week, is Medical Cannabis Awareness Week in the UK. So there are different events going on. But yeah, there's going to be um, one sort of central conference on the, on the Friday, the 3rd of November in central London to bring together patients and um, other people kind of involved in research or campaigning or industry in relation to medical cannabis and um, yeah that will have the first screening of our film and um, so absolutely so excited to see people's reactions and to be able to finally share it. Yay! We're, we're very um, grateful to Drug Science who are um, hosting the conference um, that we're really grateful to them for um, they've just been so facilitative and whatever we've asked you know they've been really helpful um, and so we're, we're very grateful that they're giving us space to tell these stories at, at the conference so yeah we're, we're like Lindsay says we're so excited that neither of us spoke then because we're both so excited that we didn't want to talk over each other <laughs> um, so we just we just can't wait till it's out there and and everybody gets to see and we can share it ourselves too yes so good so yeah I'm going to be there on the day um, as are Helen and Lindsay 
Um, so we'll hopefully, uh, through social media, share a few insights. And there's still tickets available if anyone does want to join uh, in London. Um, so what's next on this journey? Like, so it's going to come out this week. And then you've just got a paper published as well, which is brilliant. Is there anything else that wants you you want to share that's like what's next for this either for the video or for like the study in general so the next thing we we are in the process of we're actually just in the final stages of a second academic paper that is specifically focusing on um the stigma that people experience as cannabis patients so that's going to be another academic paper um but then we'll be looking again to try and figure out how we can develop creative outputs that, again, make those findings more accessible. Um, and we are just in the process at the moment of getting people, the right people in the right places who can bring about change. It's about getting our research heard by, you know, the right politicians, the right um, cross-parliamentary groups. Um, so that's that's our core business at the moment is getting this information heard by the right people who can bring the change. Yes, 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 yes to this. I mean, this is what I feel is so incredible about having a kind of multifaceted output from academic research is that even politicians, yeah, politicians are people too. Like some of them will be up for reading uh, an academic paper and others will not. And so to have yeah. a, a broader range of ways, some visual, some not, um, that different people from different walks of life can um, can interact with just means that there's so much higher chance for change, to, for these studies to actually start to bring about change. Because yeah, they need the policymakers need to see these things. The you know the councils, the the kind of people who create these structures need to be more aware. Um, so yeah, I'm so happy to be <laughs> involved uh, in this. You know, in that part, in the creative part. Definitely, it's lovely as well. The paper we've just um, had published. So we've just been published in the International Journal of Drug Policy, and that is open access which isn't always the case. Sometimes, um, you know, it's, it's difficult for the general public to get, get their hands on um, academic research. But hopefully, um, you know, there's the option there. Once we put the film out on YouTube, if, if anybody does watch the film and then think, I would actually like to read the fuller paper, it is, it is freely accessible to um, anybody who wants to download it. So, yeah, like you say, yeah. we're just hoping that we can reach a really wide audience um with with two different ways at least of of engaging with what the research the research findings tell us yeah and that's i mean i didn't know that that some academic research is um not accessible to the general public but yes definitely i feel like these creative outputs are an introduction they're a kind of like foot in the door so that it kind of captures people's attention and imagination and then there is all of the deeper, the deeper work, the deeper, um, more in-depth descriptions, but you need, sometimes you need that kind of, hello, look at me, like, this is, a, this is something to look at, <laughs> you know, in the age of social media, particularly. 
Absolutely. We're all busy people. Not everybody has got the time or the inclination to read, a, you know, an 8,000 words in-depth article, but but some will, I hope. Um, but yeah, the, the film's going to be an amazing way to, um, yeah, in a three-minute snapshot, get the highlights across to people. Definitely. So yeah, I wonder if you, what you would, what would you say to another academic anywhere in the world I work with people in the US as well as in the UK um, who is writing a grant bid about the possibility yeah how, how would you describe to them the possibility of putting in your bid at the beginning for funding for part of the funding to be for a creative output 100% I think, do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it's totally so agree yeah okay I'm glad you feel that way because I understand how hard it is to get funding and that adding a creative output to a bid may seem daunting because it may feel like it's putting the funder off. Um, But actually what I'm finding is that the response and the feedback from having these creative outputs is that it's so beneficial and it's so nourishing and enriching to the findings and how they're presented. Also, the way that the world is going and this more kind of story-based approach really lends itself to having these multiple outputs. I think if in, in every piece of research that anybody is doing at any point, <clears throat> the end point of it is to, to educate people and to show people something different, whatever sort of scientist you are, whether you, you know, with physical scientist, a social scientist, there's a natural scientist, there's all these different things that we are trying to do with our research. But the end point is always that someone's going to engage with it. <laughs> we're all trying to make the world a little bit better <laughs> with what we're doing. And I think this creative output is the hook that you need to for people to go oh I did not know that and and then they move from there into like you say they've then got the option I think for Lindsay and I a core part of our job as lecturers is we are educators that's what we do every day with our students um and so for us we are very aware that people are different sorts of learners you've got people who are visual learners people who like to hear things people who like to kinetic learners who like to move when they're learning and I think knowing that means that in order to get your research findings into a lot of different people's minds you've got to have these different outputs and a creative one is is exactly what we've just said it's that hook that starts people off and says oh I didn't know that that's interesting let's find out some more about it and for me that's why with the research that Lindsay and I are going to do going forward because the next step is we want to go back out and get we want to get funded in order to talk to people who are having to use cannabis medically without a prescription um and we we want to go and talk to them and we would definitely we are definitely writing into the process that we need a creative output from that in order to bring people in and help them to understand the the academic research findings because everybody learns differently so that visual output for us is really important big smile again on my face hearing you describe it that way and also yeah just celebrating that that's the next step or one of the next steps i know there'll be many different ones but that yes to hear those stories Again, it's kind of widening the net, widening the kind of the the the, the this wild collect, collection of stories 
it's, it's just making that bigger and and again more more inclusive of all the different kinds of people and how they're navigating this this journey yeah where can people find out more about you and the study like I will put in the show notes the link to your paper and to your Instagram but is there is there anywhere else that people can find out about you and what you do and we do have a link tree um, that if you could include that and that takes people to either the published paper as you say um the film when it's available um from the 3rd of November will be on YouTube um we're on various social media and um, there's also links there to our academic profiles, which gives a little bit of blurb about our backgrounds and other publications and that kind of thing. So, you, and it's called MedCan, isn't it? Is that is that a name that you've come up with, or is that something that was already existing? That's what we came up with. Is a kind of shorthand for medical cannabis project. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then the, I realised we haven't actually said the project name or the name of the video. Yeah, again, this is um, inspired by one of the um, quotes from a participant. Um, so it's called, it's a big added stress on top of being so ill, the challenges facing people prescribed cannabis in the UK. Yeah. Again, celebrating that that is your centering by by having that even as the name, it's centering the participants, it's centering the experience. It's not, um, you know, trying to describe someone's experience it's putting their words at the center um and so yeah just so happy to be part of this project and is there anything else you want to share before we end just a big thank you really Sophie for all your part in making the film and making the process so incredibly smooth and inspiring and yeah just so excited for it to be launched and um, for people to be able to see the film me too me too maybe actually yeah maybe just to finish out I'll just share like this the kind of process that we went through very briefly so the initial stage was that I created a kind of character board an idea of the sort of style that I was suggesting sometimes in these situations I'll I'll provide two or three ideas but for the for our process I provided one um kind of way that I felt was the most from the conversations that we'd had the most kind of uh, viable but also the most impactful um, stylistically and then with Lindsay and Helen's help that was the next stage was to develop the characters so I developed kind of I think maybe two or three from the in the initial um, styling and then we had kind of a few conversations there was a couple that were not quite right and that was really great um because sometimes like you explained earlier I haven't met the people and I haven't heard their voices and that's that's exactly as it should be in this situation with the anonymity and the ethics um but obviously you both know better best how to kind of capture that diversity and so there were a couple that we we tweaked the characters um and then from there it was me um creating these yeah creating these little they're, they're very simple animations I love creating little quirky kind of quite clunky movements but they, they, there's that kind of innocence and simplicity to them that doesn't distract from the words I think that was really important to me with this process not distracting from the words that were being said 
um, and using yeah little movements, slight sort of turns of the head, um, very kind of simple images appearing around the characters just to kind of emphasize the story that they were sharing, but allowing the words to really be uh, front, you know, front and center. Um, and yeah, and then also having a sort of the introduction is 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 typographic, is typeface because it, again, it's such an important point. This thing of cannabis having been legalized in 2018, which I think will be so shocking to so many people that see it. Maybe not at the conference because there'll be a certain audience, but generally the general public um, to start with those really kind of simple, bold titles. Um, was really important as well yeah that was the process more or less <laughs> um but it was all hand drawn all I drew all in I drew I draw it all in pencil and then I scan it and 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 build it on build it digitally but again I love that I love that process and I loved sharing it with you at different stages and and hearing the feedback and then kind of knowing yeah knowing that it was it was hitting the right spot yeah, it was fab seeing it kind of built up in layers, step by step, getting, um, you know, getting the chance to be back or throwing thoughts and then you'd go away and, and, and do a little bit more. And then at one stage we um, had the music incorporated, which again was kind of background music to give it some momentum, but without distracting from what was actually being said. And, you know, at each stage kind of back and forward, just seeing it build and grow until it all came together for the final for the final version it was really really exciting it was it was like um it was like an evolutionary process wasn't it <laughs> yeah. Lindsay and I started off with these sort of notions in our heads but when when you start to bring them to life and then that reciprocal process of being able to go you say what about this and we say oh hadn't thought of that that looks great but what about this and being able to go back and forth with you and get to that stage where it was exactly right it was just brilliant and, and seeing it evolve was amazing mm. yeah I feel like it's a really um healthy and positive example of kind of expertise meeting expertise you know because it's like I can't do this without your incredible knowledge about medical cannabis and all of the interviews and the deep work that you've done and you can't do this without or you employed and contracted me to really bring that kind of creative expertise but also because of my background within kind of very collaborative projects and other um, academic research it sort of it yeah it just felt like it flowed so beautifully um, from my point of view I hope it did for you too absolutely yeah great yeah well Thank you so much for your time today. Um, I will put all of the links in the show notes for anyone who is listening to find people. And if you have any questions for either myself, Helen or Lindsay, please do send us a message and you can send it to me um, if you want me to direct it across to Helen and Lindsay, if you can't find their details, but you can message them through Instagram. Um, and yeah, it's just been so wonderful. And I'm so excited for the film to be released this next week. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our conversation today. Please do like and subscribe to the podcast to make sure you don't miss a future episode.